Yo, it's Lucas, and this is Modern Haunted. Why I'm hyped to sit down and talk with you is you're a modern hominid. Yes. You see the world as it is. Uh, you accept reality and also see that it can be better. You see that life is a participatory sport. I also see you being intentional about the media you consume, like the podcast you listen to and the news outlets and where you get your information and I know you're uh, a huge fan of of comedy. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about we were talking about Dave Chappelle. Uh huh. And I'm I feel like there's I vibe with Dave Chappelle. I yeah. think he's funny. Yeah, he's a genius. But he's right now in in our culture, he's hot button. He's like yeah. Oh, what are the ethics? Is it okay to oh, to listen so... to support Dave Chappelle? It's Is it? So I haven't actually seen a ton of his stuff, but what's his his latest on like trans stuff? What's happening there? Um, I mean, I'm not. I think it's almost a disservice to even label his comedy as a like trans comedy. He yes, he pokes thank you, thank pokes you. fun at it because he pokes fun at everything. Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle makes fun of everyone, and I think because it's such a hot button topic right now, is he it feels he has the obligation to make fun of it as a comedian. And uh, I think he does a good job at it. And I think he comes at it from a really good place. And um, he's like, he's almost becoming more of an educator and a philosopher anymore than he is a, a comedian. Sick. I love that you highlighted that. Uh, it's like, of course, in our culture right now, we latch on to the most sensationalized like that is polarizing uh -huh. like trans issues right now are very polarizing and yeah. of course we're like me not being a huge consumer of dave Chappelle's stuff but kind of being a fringe fan uh -huh. of course i like hear about his skits on trans rights and whatnot yeah uh, that's just classic that's what it becomes you know like the controversy of it becomes all of what it's about when it's actually it's comedy and he's making fun of a lot of things um Part of it being like a section of his special where he's making fun of or like bringing light or whatever of to trans issues. And yeah. Uh, so what do you think about his approach? Uh, I'm a teacher. And uh -huh. <laughs> one thing we say is you don't have fun at other people's expense. Uh -huh. Like in class, in my classroom, in our school. Uh there's of course bring a lightheartedness to life but to have fun and laugh at other people's expense uh i don't know that's what we say in schools we're like don't do that and it could be considered bullying is uh -huh. what do you think is dave Chappelle? i don't know i guess dave Chappelle bullying yeah is he bullying is it okay of him to be having fun like that at other people's expenses uh yeah it's hard to say i mean i don't know i don't know if I'm definitely not the the arbiter of truth. Yeah. Well, duh, we're sitting on a freaking <laughs> yeah. rock right now drinking polars. Yeah. <laughs> we riffing, baby. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's... What do you think? I, I, 
I think it's just like people get so hyper focused on things. I think there's so many things. This world uh-huh. is so large. There's so many issues, and like everyone's so focused on this one thing and what this one guy says. Like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to watch it. You don't have to pay attention right. to it. But everyone is not everyone, but there's so much attention focused on this one thing. But as far as do I think he's bullying? I don't think he's bullying. Uh, I think that he. I mean, he has. I mean, in his special that was so controversial, he was talking about his friend that he like really bolstered their career mm-hmm. by letting them open for him, yeah, and um, really like changed their life. And his friend was trans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but then because this person was defending Dave, and because uh, like there was just a massive backlash against this one person. So it was almost, it was kind of like a changed this person's career, but also was kind of a kiss of death because then the internet mob went so hard on this person, made their life hell. Right. To the point where they ended up committing suicide. Whoa. Yeah. I have not heard that. It's interesting. And it was that community. It was the, the trans community that was like pushing so hard against right. this person and making them feel bad, sending them death threats and like, um, so the trans com- community came out against this trans person. Yes. For associating with Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Very, interesting. very interesting. Very weird. Very yeah. Sad. Yeah. Um, okay. So I agree that you can just choose to not listen to Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Like, if you don't agree with what he's saying, you can choose to not listen to it. Uh-huh. But if we're going to dive into, like, moral philosophy, if we were to, uh-huh. like, okay, pretend like you're Dave Chappelle, pretend like you can see long-term outcomes on human flourishment across the whole, is Dave Chappelle having a net positive or net negative on human flourishment? Is he promoting ideas that are moving us societally in a direction that promotes more flourishment for more and everybody black people of color uh lgbtq plus community uh uh, trans community like is he moving us in a good direction by kind of poking fun at our sensitive our our hypersensitivities that we have yeah or or is he perpetuating a narrative that is further oppressive to trans people and lgbtq plus community um I know we're not the moral truth on this, but let's yeah. riff on that. I mean, that seems my, like, yeah, in my opinion, net positive. I think he's, why. I think he's, he's a, I'd say he's like a guardian of art because he's like, he's helping art. Cause when you can't like art should have no bounds. Art is art. And it's like, it can be as crazy where you don't even, does it's not even perceived as art and it can be, I don't know, I just, I hate putting any bounds on art. I think it can be whatever it is. Is Donald Trump an artist? No. Because you could leader apply... Of the, leader of the free world. <laughs> he was like in the most important position on the planet, and he was acting a clown. I, I don't think... 
But don't you think you could apply the same principles to him? Like maybe he's the ultimate artist. Maybe he knows what he's doing under underneath it all. Uh And is we're getting into conspiracy land here, which for (laughs) sure. But okay, let's pretend like Donald Trump was aware enough and smart enough and a beautiful enough artist that he's like, all right, I'm gonna go shape kind of postmodern style art. Uh Uh, You know, the postmodern art movement was like tweak cultural narratives as if it was true to like poke fun at the hilarity of consumerism and capitalism uh-huh. is Donald Trump, the ultimate postmodernist artist who's <laughs> being so far out there that he's poking holes in a way to move us in a good direction. Okay. No, I don't think so. Uh-huh. But uh, does what you're saying apply to Donald Trump? Because what you're saying is, well, uh, art has no bounds and Dave Chappelle, he, he can go say whatever. Donald Trump is saying whatever, uh, but Donald Trump is amplifying these toxic narratives in really yeah. oppressive ways. Is is Dave Chappelle doing the same thing? I don't think so. Why? Dave Ch- What's the difference? Well, Dave Chappelle's not an elected official. He's not like in office writing policy and writing bills and vetoing bills and you know like steering the country from from the steering from the captain's chair. You know, Dave Chappelle's a comedian. And he's a self-proclaimed comedian. He says, this is comedy. So, like, when someone says, I'm a comedian, that means, like, they're there to make fun of things and be comedic and to make jokes. And um, Donald Trump is the president. Right. He just wasn't like, I'm a comedian. I, I would call him a clown, but, like, he was, yeah, I wouldn't say what he Does did. Does that artistic. give... Okay, so you're, what I'm hearing is that the mask that people wear, the social role they they label themselves as, comedian, president, politician, uh-huh. teacher, these roles, what we self-proclaim as, so that that then determines what we can and can't say. I think on some level. Right. In that role, you know, like when you're in the classroom, you're allowed to say certain things. When mm-hmm. you're out of the classroom, you can say whatever you want. Right. When you're uh, the president the leader of the free world people would expect you to have a certain manner and a certain way to carry yourself and a certain way you speak about things um as opposed to like when you're like a reality tv star or whatever he is or like when he's at home or something you Mm -hmm. know okay but i'm calling bs on that screw the roles Uh uh like I agree with you. Me as a teacher, I certainly tamper and don't say everything that maybe we're talking about right now. And I like, I'm wearing this hat of teacher, but I think in an ideal world, the roles, I wouldn't have to switch between Lucas and teacher. It would just be me because I believe morally down to my core. These are the things I believe in. And I'd be able to talk to them about abortion in the classroom and I'd be able to talk to them about some of the culture wars and some of the positive science behind psychedelic research uh-huh. uh, which I don't talk to them about duh because I'd get fired yeah. but I think in in my utopic picture of the world it wouldn't matter if you were president or comedian or teacher you'd just be able to speak to your truth uh-huh. speak to what you think uh, would beget the most human flourishment for everyone uh-huh. Uh, like I, like, so I'm, I'm, I question th- those rules. And I also worry that I hear you saying Dave Chappelle, uh, 
he's a comedian. And because he wears the hat of comedian, that gives him this hall pass to say whatever. Uh-huh. Does that also give ignorant people, if they just frame themselves as a comedian, to say whatever? Like, where's where's the line there? In some regard, yeah. Right. Then, like, but why do why do comedians have that? Uh, why do they get that hall pass? Because they have developed the skill of being a comedian. Like mm. that, they have learned to frame certain things. They see the world in a way where they think it's funny, and they've structured and like a way of presenting it that makes it funny. And under the guise of it being funny, and sometimes it's a challenge to make something the worst shit to be funny. Interesting. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't <laughs> land. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's hacky. Sometimes it's ignorant. And ideally, the audience can be the judge for themselves and they can be like, okay, that person's a hack. They suck. I'm not going to pay attention to that. That's just ignorant. Or even maybe if it's relatively good. And, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, I, dude, I hear you. Okay. So I went to a stand up comedy night the other night, uh, amateur comedy. Yeah. And some of it was hilarious. Yeah. And some of it was so cringe. A lot of the people were white dudes, which there's something to, there, there's something alive there of why men, why, why was it mostly men and not women? I think that's uh-huh. a cultural thing. Uh, uh-huh. Men are the funny ones and men are the ones who are confident enough to get up, not because of genetics, but because of uh, cultural underpinnings. Okay, yeah. whatever. Set that aside. Uh-huh. Most of it was men and about 40% of the dudes were going for shock value yeah saying sexist jokes and saying racist jokes Uh and they didn't land for me yeah it was like that's cheap humor that would hacky it's hacky yeah you call that person a hack like they suck they're just trying to be a shock jock yes they're trying to be they're trying to like say the worst shit because they think it's funny but that i don't think that's funny either i i love a comedian that can like slither in maybe say something that's like pushing on racist. Like it, it puts the racism in your mind as a, as an audience member, but then they like, it isn't, but like how they say it, it's, it's a lot of really good comedy to me is inception, like incepting an idea into someone's mind. Like, no, you thought of it. I didn't say it. I said words that made you think of the bad thing, but I'm saying something completely different. Oh, and sick. It, it's yeah it's a it's an amazing art that's why i i love it and right. there's there's bad comedians out there there's bad actors okay so i was able to decipher i'm like okay those are oppressive ideas that you're saying and i don't think that's funny that's like i would have maybe thought that was funny in high school but that's just sexist yeah. and it didn't land for me yes so i was able to discern and see that but i could have seen myself when i was in high school being at that same show and being like oh that's hilarious like yeah. it would have like pushed my shock button to make me laugh uh-huh. and i know that there were members in the audience because i heard the laughter that yeah. also thought that those sexist ideas were hilarious and funny and probably uh-huh. are then passing along those jokes or or downloading some of those ideas into their hard wiring and then going yeah. out into the world and impl or not yet yeah, implicitly uh expressing some of those conditioned underpinnings of sexism yeah. on people in their life like they make it 
they they said it, so it's okay for me to say right, it. Like, right. it gives them a license to... And that's kind of what I'm saying with Dave Chappelle. Like, uh-huh. I agree that he's not sexist or racist. I agree yeah. his intentions are... And maybe this is what it comes down to. Maybe it's yeah. the comedian's underlying intentions. Yeah. But... I don't know. Like I'm seeing Dave Chappelle. I'm I'm seeing that be co-opted by some ignorant, sexist white dude in exactly. Texas, who's then gives him the hall pass to say this stuff. Yeah. Which I, I don't know how you get around that, because that's something that I feel like Donald Trump did also gave a lot of people license to express their ignorant bullshit because they they felt safe to. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, oh, okay, I feel safe around these people because of, um, they like have make America great again hats on or whatever. And they feel comfortable saying some, some real ignorant shit or expressing their ignorant ideas. Right. And I, I don't know if, I don't know if I have a good, uh, retort to that Yeah. because yeah, it's just like, what do you, what do you, what's the alternative? Do you just no more comedy? No comedy. You can't say these things. (laughs) You can't do these things. Ideally people, can be educated and smart enough to like sift through and see what they're actually saying you know like see exactly what where dave Chappelle's coming from and like this this man is a he's a black man who grew up in america and you yep. know like he comes from a place where he understands prejudice yep. he understands um a lot of things that the trans community has gone through you yep. know so it's not like he's ignorant. I think we need to have a governmental committee that sends out a booklet with bullet points of of ideas that com- that comedians can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comedians you can, can talk only about talk about. <laughs> oh, I don't know if my sar- I don't know if my sarcasm hit through the it audio did. there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't deliver that one well. Uh-huh. Obviously, kidding. Uh. Right now we're getting into like free speech and the constitution and yeah. like w- cancel culture and what can you say? Should we start policing language? Yeah. Uh, which there's something alive there, which maybe we could go into. Yeah. But what is, what's the role of a comedian? Like does, does the comedian play a role societally? Like, okay, politicians I, play a role. Teachers uh-huh. play a role. Doctors play a role. Yeah. What is the comedian's role societally, culturally? I think the best in its best form, they're like healers in a lot of ways. You know, they take the most fucked up shit and you can laugh about it. You know, like like a good 9-11 joke. You know, it's the, one of the most all it's the, one of the most awful tragedies that has happened. One of the worst in American history. But like if you get, have a good 9-11 joke, you can like laugh and open up and like begin to heal a little bit. When uh, that's a controversial statement, that almost seems like an oxymoron. Yeah. Good nine <laughs> yeah. eleven joke. Exactly. I, I'm I, I feel like I could hear some jokes on nine eleven, and I could probably find humor in them if they were tasteful. Uh-huh. I haven't heard any. Yeah. I'm wondering I've if someone Dave who Chappelle was some good ones. <laughs> okay, I haven't heard. Okay, this is my question though. Someone. Wait, no, sorry, it was not Dave Chappelle. It's uh, I'll show you some. Good ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show you some good ones. But someone who was a little bit closer to the flame, maybe had someone, a, a, a close relative die yeah. for 9-11. Are they ever going to be at a spot where they can find, where they could say, oh yeah. yeah, that was a good 9-11 joke. Yeah. Pete Davidson's a great example. I think Pete Davidson's a really good comedian. His dad died in 9-11. He was a firefighter. Great 9-11 jokes. 
Okay. He has great 9-11 jokes. Okay. And I I respect his 9-11 jokes because he's he lost his dad in 9-11. His dad was a firefighter who went in and um, mm-hmm. sacrificed himself, too. I could see a lot of people in our culture right now not getting behind a good 9-11 joke. Uh, yeah. We, I feel like this is an assertion that I'm making that pff, who knows the claim behind it, but things are heavy right now. Yeah. Things are unnecessarily heavy. That is a privileged thing for me to be able to say sitting here in Montana with access to nature and our upbringing. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like we are walking around with a burden of heaviness that's unnecessary. And again, so privileged. Uh, but even some of my friends with the same amount of privilege as us are still carrying this burden with them. Uh-huh. Everything is heavy. You can't laugh at anything. There's no lightness to yeah. things. And there does seem to be a, a spritz of lightness that is necessary for us to heal. Yeah. And for us to process and for us to move forward and for us to start to get a more objective picture of this thing that is so heavy, whatever uh-huh. it is, whether it be racism, sexism, nine yeah. 11, like these are heavy, dense things. Yeah. And it does seem like some lightness needs to be brought to it, uh-huh. but I guess it just needs to be tasteful lightness or I, I guess, <laughs> I don't know. It's cause I, I do some, I like fucked up comedy too. I just like, I kind of like the provocateur. I like the right. troll. I'm a fan of the troll. Mm. And I'm not a troll by any means. Right. I'm too afraid to be a troll. Right. I'm That's too afraid a scary to line. That is a scary line. But I I like to witness trolls yeah. because I'm like, that's hilarious that they're poking fun at the thing that you're not supposed to poke fun at. Mm. I love the class clown. I love the person that does their, does like slightly what they're not supposed to do. In re- like as long as you take care of human safety and you know, there's, there's always a line to balance. tell. There's a, there's a balance to it. You know, I don't want to hear like this is the issue is up. everyone's line. Everyone's balance is different. Yeah. And who are we to say where that line is? And like some people's line and balance actually perpetuates racism and actually perpetuates yeah. oppressive and anti-feminist stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just as with everything, it's gray. Yeah. And it's up to us to decide. Yes. Uh, I'm. I live in a gray world. <laughs> We're sitting in the rain right now, son. <laughs> yeah. Gray is. We got smoke in the background. We got a little clouds bit of rain. above. But I. I don't subscribe to black and white thinking mm. at all. I'm very much of a like a a gray thinker. Someone who thinks of everything as like along some sort of a spectrum. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I feel like we're, and I feel, I feel the same way. Don't you think that's just the human condition? I think that's just how humans are great. Nat- natural, <laughs> how the world kind of works, you know, like, yeah, there's no hard left and right. I think when you start seeing things as, um, polar, that's when you get divide, you know, like when you can divide people, when you can like easily put them in one or the other, then it's easy, like you have more space in between. You have more space to, to drive a wedge into it. Mm-hmm. You know, which is what's happening right now yeah. with the sensationalized news headlines. Yep. Are you Fox News or are you CNN News? Yeah. Are you left? Are you right? Are you left, right? Do you vote for Trump? Do you vote for Biden? Like, 
were being pushed to the fringes and yeah i heard it oh, i i want to take the time right now to try to riff on this this is an undeveloped idea uh-huh. that i'm gonna do, so poke holes in this okay. how computers work is it's a series of digits ones and zeros binary binary thank you uh-huh. binary this or that and uh to the core that's their operating system uh-huh. and social media uses computers to program their things and it pushes us to be a one or a zero a this or a that uh-huh. uh that that might be too rudimentary uh my idea isn't fully developed on it but i see it uh i see social media mongering on our fear and pushing us to be are you black lives matter or are you maga are you and we get actually i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot back Uh their business model is uh through advertisement they get Uh money through advertisement yeah and if they can target you with ads that are going to be successful uh they can market themselves to the advertising agencies with more certainty and thus charge more uh, for the advertising agencies and thus make more money. And so social media's job is to pre-label us in a bucket. Oh, this person is conservative yeah. and they think this about vaccines and they think this about uh, abortion and they think this and they bundle up these values and they yeah. push you towards that. Yeah. Because the more they can push you into that bucket that they've pre-labeled you as, yeah. the more certainty they can target you with ads that you're going to yeah. like. Uh-huh. Uh, and so really what it's doing is they're pre-labeling us based on our previous clicks and they're doing everything they can to push us and keep us in that bucket. Yeah. And this bucket is very much different than that bucket yeah. and thus unfolds the polarization that we have right now yeah uh, that was clunky but it, yeah it, it's a new I, I understand what you're talking okay. about we're like it uh <clears throat> social media's goal and and media i guess in general technologies our device's goal is to get our attention we're an attention based economy. economy where like the more attention you get the more hours the more clicks you get in a certain space the more valuable that space is, which means they can charge advertising agencies more money because they have a larger viewership and they get more time spent on their thing. And, um, and we're so like, we, we can be so specifically targeted now, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than like this blanket, um, public television cable, Mm -hmm. Where it's like this is the commercial. Yeah. This is this is your Fox News commercial. This is your local whatever. Yep. You can like you know you like based on what you're who you follow on Instagram, based on what YouTube you watch, totally. based on what pages you follow on Facebook. Um, that information is getting sold to these advertisers, and um, it can be more more targeted. Mm-hmm. I notice my <clears throat> when I talk about social media and some of these things, I notice a heaviness sometimes even set in with me. Sometimes uh-huh. I get too serious about it, uh-huh. uh, and I, which I actually am good at letting go. I'm good at like, oh, that's funny. I'm uh-huh. getting, I actually care. Oh, okay, next, like laugh uh-huh. at it. Uh, but some feedback I've received is 
people hear me talking passionately in my previous podcast episodes about some of these issues that I do care about. And they're like, man, Lucas, are you getting all wrapped up in this? Like, are you lost down some crazy spiral of like being jostled around by forces of media? And it's funny because those who are around me see that, nah, I'm chilling. <laughs> yeah. I'm living and like, it, this is just a fun little avenue to, yeah. to put my energy into. Yeah. I'd never notice that seriousness when we're right doing anything. really yeah yeah totally like fuck it yeah totally i feel that but but that is some feedback i've got from some people Uh and to stem it back to comedy and to stem it back to the role of the comedian alan watts has a line that goes to the core most of us are living our lives as if life, this thing we have been given, these on average 77 years we're here, life is serious. Okay, this can be fun and we're laughing as we're playing at the lake and we're throwing the frisbee, but when you get to your job, it's serious. Uh-huh. And when someone dies, it's serious. Uh-huh. And a lot of us carry this belief that to the core, life is serious. Yeah. And that begets this heaviness. Uh-huh. And Alan Watts says... Says who? Yeah. Who says that life is serious? Yeah. To the core, life can be light. You can bring a lightheartedness to everything, even death, Uh even racism, Uh even trans rights. Uh, And our friend Derek Snodgrass embodies that. Yeah. Uh, The Native American figure of the coyote. The coyote is, is the prankster, the, the trickster, yeah. the troll. The troll. Uh, the provocateur. Exactly. The 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 raccoon. Uh-huh. Uh, that's an important role socially and societally that yeah. should not be lost. I don't think so. Uh, and it points to the underpinning idea that life doesn't have to be serious. Uh-huh. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't feel with others and, uh, and take others feelings and thoughts and emotions into account in fact it's quite the opposite Uh Um, but it's bringing an element of lightness and humor to everything Uh not because maybe not maybe not that's how things are but because it's better to live like that like Uh don't we all want to just be light on our feet rather than carrying around this heavy backpack everywhere (laughs) yeah it sounds it sounds heavy it sounds difficult it sounds like a difficult way to go through life yeah Enough, yeah. It's uh we also are on our rock pedestal yeah. above it all. And we have a, a very fortunate level of privilege mm-hmm. between you and I. We've come from a very similar place where I have no idea what it's like to be in a marginalized mm-hmm. group mm-hmm. where like just being who you are is um hated on you know you just exist in the world and people like look at you and and treat you different Mm -hmm. which it sounds terrible Mm -hmm. which is that's like a a crazy level of heaviness that you just exist exactly exactly but and even to a a, like as we're talking about things being gray even if your lifestyle or your skin color isn't hated on it's even more subtle and nuanced than that it seems to be who receives the benefit of the doubt 
you and I receive the benefit of the doubt in most situations. Yeah. Whereas others don't. I've never felt threatened. Mm-hmm. I can walk home in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I can bike home in the middle of the night. Never mm-hmm. felt threatened. Yep. I feel so comfortable being by myself. Yeah. And um, just because I've never been, never been challenged. Yeah. You know, I've never been preyed upon. Yeah. Okay, let's go meta here. Why are you and I talking about privilege right now? <laughs> do you think Probably. that we're trying to virtue signal? Probably. <laughs> do you think Probably we're trying bit. to show the audience? I'm like imagining what I thought or like what we've said in the podcast so far. <laughs> and I'm like, I have characters in my mind who kind of embody the... The coyote. Not the coyote. I'm, th- I'm the, the woke left. Oh, okay. The ones who are like going to like drill me. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm like, how do I like cover my base there yeah. so that I can speak honestly? Because all you can do is speak honestly, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. And I guess part of today's age is like you have to like, okay, recognize. Are we doing this? Because that's what podcasters do. You know, you, a lot of the podcasts we listen to, I hear people say this. So am I doing this? Are we doing this? Because that's what podcasters do. Or are we trying to. Are <laughs> I'm doing because you say it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or are we trying to show that we are not ignorant? Are we trying to tell people that we're virtuous yeah. people who are aware or, yeah. or do we maybe a little bit of all of it? And let's be honest, we're privileged. Yeah. And shout out. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Like it is, it's all of it. Uh-huh. Cause I am actually just grateful for it and I want to share that. Yeah. Which that's funny. Uh, but I think, I mean, there is that also, if we are recognizing ours, everyone else has to recognize theirs too. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're a hot girl, you got an insane amount of privilege too. In some if you're realms. tall, yeah, you got some wild privilege. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there's a all is relative. Yeah, like like white white males are not the only people who have to recognize it. Right. True. Um, True. maybe we can lead the way. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's our job to lead the way. Uh-huh. And maybe that's what we're doing right now. No, actually, this is, I'd like to riff on this a little bit. This is what we're doing. You and I see, modern hominids see that life is a participatory sport. That uh-huh. culturally, we're stuck on the couch watching Netflix, watching the NFL, listening watching the podcasts. NBA, listening to Joe Rogan do his thing. And you watching and I. YouTube fucking. <sighs> Just consuming, 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 consuming. Here we go. <laughs> we out here grinding. Uh, you and I see that life is not a spectator sport. Uh-huh. And you and I are on the sidelines. Put me in, coach. Yeah. And maybe that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Uh, trying to participate. Yeah. Do you think? Or I think so. Yeah. I in yeah. Definitely trying to participate. I how, to participate. How else are you trying to participate? I felt the need to participate with music early on. Mm. Like I need to play. Mm-hmm. I want to participate. I want to be part of that. Let me plug you real quick. Tanner fruit dot loops on YouTube. Tanner fruit uh, loops. Tanner fruit loops. Uh, check it out. Okay. So you're, yeah, you felt it with music early. Yeah. Pretty much since, I started listening to music. I was like, I need to play music. 
Right. And um, when I got to college, joined the first funk band, Kung Fu Congress. That was when I was like, oh, yeah, we we in here. We're doing it. Yeah. I'm playing. I'm playing with my friends. We're playing for people. <sighs> and we're making the party. We're making people's lives better in this moment. You made my life better. I appreciate it. Going to those shows gave me a sense of confidence. I'm like, I know the saxophone player. In fact, I'm good friends with him. Like, am I cool too then? Like, I got status right now at the top hat. (laughs) Uh Like, and just elicited this feeling of like, he's doing it. Maybe I can too. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. Actually. Thank you. Yeah. Kung Fu Congress. Shout out. Let alone Shake Well. Yeah. Kung Fu Congress was the beginning and then Shake Well. Yeah. Three-Ear Dog, No Bide, um, all of the homies, Cure for the Common, Dusty Pockets, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Parti- that also That's... seems to be a common thread of our friend group. We almost seem, you and I vibe over in our friends. We're all seeking something more, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, seeking something more. We just, we want to participate. We're like, okay, I saw how our parents lived. I saw this. Put me in, coach. I'm I'm ready to play. Yeah. 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 We want to contribute. Mm-hmm. We want to, like, with this, hopefully, you know, someone, I imagine someone in middle school or whatever, and they stumble upon Modern Hominid, and they don't really know, you know, they're, like, around all their friends who are making TikToks, mm-hmm. and they're so immersed in this, like, world of social media and Instagram and YouTube and whatever which is i'm not knocking on it but they'll they discover modern hominid and they're like oh urban cruise hell yeah i'm gonna grab my i'm gonna go grab my bike mm-hmm. and get my homies and we're gonna mm-hmm. go bike around town maybe we'll make tiktoks of us biking or something like yeah. further spread the idea of like get outside and find some healthy outlets mm-hmm. and you know like move away maybe not move away. I don't know if, I don't know if they should be changing their lives completely, but like add on things like urban crews and and going out and finding the others. Well, what's interesting is my students, seventh graders, kids, they are participators in life. Uh They actually still have that. I feel like we all have that as kids. You you look, I was at a wedding last weekend and who were the first ones on the dance floor participating? (laughs) The kids. Uh-huh. They didn't care what people were thinking. Uh-huh. They participate. My students participate. They're like, yeah, I'm writing a book right now. I'm like, dude, <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm making a skate video and I'm going to send it out. I'm, I'm going to get sponsored and then I'm going to create content. Just Like they yeah. participate. Uh, but somewhere along the way, it seems to be around like eighth, ninth, tenth grade. Yeah. We start to care more about belonging. Yeah. And less about listening to our body and doing what feels natural, I guess. Uh, Fear starts to trickle in in a way where we get the inner child beat out of us Uh and start to slip in line. Uh, That happened for me. Uh I was a rambunctious kid and I became pretty civilized. 
although our friends were good about never fully losing it. Yeah. But I almost refound it after college or later in college. I came back to like really being in touch with my inner child oh. with like, oh no, I, I am actually goofy to my core. Yeah. And I am, I love to play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was at this wedding last weekend and I found myself for 45 minutes crawling on the ground playing monsters with these kids uh -huh. rather than like sitting like this and talking about the stock market which I also like to do yeah but I just see societally a lot of us have lost touch with the inner child yeah uh, do you see that how is your inner child doing uh, it's uh god it depends on the crowd dude when I'm with the homies it's there 100%. And when I'm by myself, I'm finding an inner child. I'm, I cruise all the time, either blading or on the bike solo all the time. And um, I find it there. And I guess maybe some some groups of people, like it gets a little diminished. What do you? What's going on there? Like when you're around crews? I'm trying to even think if, if there's a crew that would make me feel that way. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I don't know if it... I would say it comes and goes, the inner child yeah. part of things. Like maybe when it comes to responsibility stuff, I'd turn on like adult mode. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, I got to like pay my bills or something and adult yeah. mode creeps in or I'm going to work and adult mode creeps in. Yeah, but I don't... Yeah, That's I mean, you're... Yeah, and you clearly have your inner child. You have maintained uh, a good relationship with your inner child. Yeah. It hasn't uh, been, I've never had a job that it's really beat me out of it. I've always avoided that. Right. That's why I've, my life has been funneled towards like, even on like the fire end of things when I'm doing firefighting stuff, mm. a lot of that's very childish. It's just yeah. playing in the woods. Yeah. Yep. And messing around and playing with chainsaws and digging yeah. in the dirt. And at the lookout, it's like, I get to do my own thing all day. And then when I'm done with that, then I'm usually unemployed. And uh, every day is kind of like, what am I going to do? Am I mm -hmm. going to bike around and stuff? Yeah, totally. <laughs> play seems to be... Children know how to play. <laughs> my seventh graders teach me every day how to play. Uh -huh. And thankful for that. Adults, though, adults suck at having fun. We have lost that. And maybe part of what this is, or, or I guess something I'm passionate about, this feels good to say, is showing, holding the door open for adults to re-remember that it's okay to play. Uh -huh. uh, it's okay to be goofy. That life to the core is light. Uh -huh. That we're walking around with this heaviness and wearing our hat of businessman so much that we lose touch with that. Uh, maybe I'm like a comedian. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I, maybe my role as the coyote is to, I definitely noticed some coyote tendencies. Interesting. With, uh, like namely, kinda... um, pushing, pushing the boundaries of borders. Like you're not supposed to rollerblade to the grocery store. <laughs> But you're going to rollerblade through the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. You're not supposed to blade 
through the mall, but you're going to rollerblade through the mall, which is kind of like poke. Like you're going to do it until someone says you're not supposed to do yeah. it. Uh-huh. You're not going to be a dick to someone who's like, you know, like telling you to stop or whatever. Yeah. But you are going to like poke at him a little bit. Mm-hmm. I feel that whether I do that consciously or subconsciously, I'm not sure. Uh huh. But I, I, I see that as well. Yeah. Kind of, I like to push on the edges. Yes. With teaching, I got burned uh, this last fall. I pushed on the edges too much. Uh, we had a really cool conversation surrounding abortion. Yes. I listened uh, to that episode. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into it now, but yeah, I think it's nice to push on the fringes a little bit. Yeah. I think uh, it's important. Yeah. Like, what are the fringes? What are those borders? Right. Why are they there? Right. Why is there a rule? You know, like, oh. tell me why that rule exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's fun <laughs> it's, to do that. And maybe a little alive. bit of that is this. One area that I, right now, am excited to push on edges is game A, game B stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, which I'm going to, I'd like to riff on a little bit. Yes. So I've been talking with you and our friends about game A, game B. Uh, and some of the friends have been like, Lucas, rein it in, buddy. Come on. Like, I get the sense that they feel like I'm too far on the fringes. I, I notice my parents, my parents think I'm, they're like, whoa, they see me out on the fringe and they're like, whoa, what are you doing out there? Uh-huh. And obviously it's laced with love, uh, from them. But, okay. So one area that I like to, to kind of poke and prod and push on the, on the edge, on the edge is where are we going culturally, societally, the world? Uh, okay. So let me lay out the picture and then I hope you can poke holes in it. Okay. So game A, game B before game A unfolded before game B unfolded was the first game. And the first game is basically the central premise of modern hominid. It's that for humans have existed in this world for 300,000 years, uh, anatomically modern humans, hobo, uh, homo sapiens. And for about 290,000 of those years, we lived in nomadic hunter-gatherer tribes, intimately connected to the natural world, um, hunting, gathering, building shelter, spending our time about 20 to 25 hours uh, building shelter, doing things that we could call work, building shelter, yeah. collecting food, gathering, but outside of that 20 to 25 hour a week period, we were grooming each other, playing. We were living. We were surviving. And those conditions, the conditions of the first game, 290,000 years, allowed us to feel these feelings of flourishment. Just the way things are. We weren't stuck in our minds worrying about the business and the bills we have to pay or thinking about yeah. the past. What did Susan think about me when I said that I thought that trans or whatever, right? Yeah. Like we were present. We had to yeah. be. You're like, I need water. Yeah. Where is the food? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I'm going <laughs> to. And I'm I don't have kids with that person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like rudimentary, our lifestyle was in alignment with the hard wiring that we have, that we yeah. still have today. Yeah. Uh, Ancient tech. Yes. Our primitive brains. Uh, I want to be careful not to like fetishize the primitive lifestyle. Like I know that it was in some aspects brutish and when there was war yeah. or there is no periods of famine. There were no rights. There were <laughs> no. Exactly. 
He was, I, a, he was a, yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to like fetishize and like say that this was this beautiful utopian era. Yeah. Uh, but I think there was a lot of things that we could learn from now that we've strayed from, from the first yeah. game. Okay. Uh, 12,000 years ago, the transition from first game to game A came the agricultural revolution where we started to uh, monopolize wheat and we started to become sedentary and build civilization yeah. around cultivating food and we started to hunker down in a valley and that allowed us the resources to then expand our population to where we weren't living in groups of 100 to 150 nomadic yeah it was towns cities uh-huh. civilization Okay, so that has been the last 12,000 years, uh-huh. and civilization has been accelerated by uh, the scientific revolution 500 years ago, then the industrial revolution 150 years ago, and uh-huh. then once again 20 years ago with the technological boom. And here we are, uh-huh. faced with the crises of climate change, faced with the crises of geopolitical tensions, faced with AI, faced with nuclear warfare faced with certain things yeah. uh famine famine yeah and we're at a time whether it's right now or whether it's in the somewhat near future or whether it's in a couple generations couple hundred years we don't know yeah where we're fastly heating the temperature of our climate and depleting our resources to where this is not sustainable yeah <laughs> and how systemically to the root we need a shift and we're actually in that shift right now. And COVID maybe shined a little bit of light on that. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, to where we need to systemically start to reframe how we think about our position in the world. Yeah. Humans are not these apex predators at the top who get to use all the resources below us at our will. But actually, we're a part of a circle of life, an yeah. ecosystem where we are just one part in the balance. Yeah. Okay, now I'm getting into game B. So we are right now doulaing. We are birthing a new game that we're uh-huh. in the process of. And it's going to be a clunky transition to get there. Yeah. But game B. Uh, and the people who I've been listening to are saying, whether we go with it or not, it's going to happen. It might be in five years. It might be in 500. But yeah. with the climate crisis and all the other things, it's going to happen. We can either be ahead of the curve and move towards it and collectively build it ourselves. Yeah. Or we can wait for the crisis to strike and then frantically deal with it when it comes. Yeah. Okay. So why I say that is to paint a picture and people are calling me crazy for saying these things. <laughs> Maybe not crazy, but they're like, all right, Lucas, <laughs> rain it, rain it in, buddy. Uh-huh. And I guess I'd like some feedback. Am I crazy? And what holes do you see in what I just said there? And what's your vision? Neither of us are futurists, but it's uh-huh. fun to riff on. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to participate. I'm trying to say my piece. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what's your vision? What holes do you poke? What do you? I mean, I I don't think you're crazy because I've heard the same thing from a lot of different sources. You know, like that's a lot of fear of the future. That's like a sense that I get. Doomer, doomer prep. <laughs> yeah, doomer prep or just like, what's it going to look like? A lot of people are like holding off on, I don't know if that's why people are not having kids as much because they're afraid of the future for them or something. I don't know if that's actually statistically accurate. I think it might be. But if you talk to our friends, a lot of our friends are like, 
I don't know if we're going to have kids. It's yeah. not ethical to do that. Which is like, that's a wild thing because a lot of our friends are smart. Mm-hmm. And like, those are the people you want to, you want to be procreating or yeah. a lot of people who are smart who are going to raise people who are going to fix these issues, you know? Yeah. Maybe not smart. They're aware. Conscientious. And they're smart. And, and they're smart. <laughs> and they're smart. Objectively smart. Dude. Yeah, you like true. put them across the board. They're fucking smart. <laughs> that's true. Um, so no, I don't think you're crazy. And I'm kind of like, in my own mind, I'm so avoidant of like the fear of the future. I don't think about it right. that much. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't have as much of a, a fear and, and doom mentality. But I do think, I think a shift is imminent. And uh, the shift towards... I don't like the us against them or us against you or pointing fingers. I like a team mentality. We're in this together. Humanity. We all have the same, come into this world the same and we all exit this world the same. Every living thing on this planet mm-hmm. has the same um, same fate. Yeah. And every human has the same fate in a relatively similar amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, ideally, like, in, you know, a lot. Yeah. Um, it's true. Game A was very individualistic. Yeah, it's me, like me, us me. against them. Tribal, my... tribe versus tribe. Uh-huh. And my yard, my BMW, my barbecue, my fenced-in whatever. Yeah. And how Game B is going to need to be collective. Yeah. Uh, back to the first game, bringing forth wisdom from the first game. Yeah. Like, collective, we need each other. Community. Yeah. We need each other. <laughs> and we... We are relying on each other more than anyone is really realizing. Yeah. Well, I've got appreciation for you for showing me that life is participatory and not a spectator. Because I was spectating watching you and I loved it. Although I was kind of participating. You're, oh, dude, I got in, recordings. I got you. Yeah, recordings. yeah. Just in my enthusiasm from the crowd. But yeah. I was spectating. Uh, so I just have appreciation for you in general and in so many ways and for sitting down and doing this.